This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Philippians chapter 3, uh, if you uh, are following along, that means that we're almost a little bit past 50% way through the book of Philippians, and it's only taken us about a year and a half. I mean, we're just crushing it. Uh, we're just going verse by verse through the book of Philippians, uh, talking about what uh, Paul says. Paul writes a letter to the church at Philippi. It was a church that he had pastored for a while. He finds himself now under house arrest, basically in prison uh, for preaching the gospel, uh, and he writes a letter back to them, and we sometimes refer to Philippians as a letter of joy. Uh, there's no sharp rebuke. There's no, hey, you guys need to make this right. There's no challenge to forsake sin or to kick out false teachers like we find often in other letters that Paul writes. But he just says, hey, you guys have been great partners in the gospel. You guys have been, been such an encouragement and a blessing to me. And he just continues to challenge them to take it up a step. And so uh, I love this uh, passage of scripture because it's so incredibly rich. Uh, we're getting ready just to give you a heads up in the next couple of weeks. We're getting ready to get into some really deep water when it comes to Philippians chapter 3. Um, I, frankly, uh, for me, I love to tell people what the Bible says. I love to, to break down scripture and tell you what it means and things like that. I'm a little bit intimidated by Philippians 3 just because it's such a well-known passage of scripture. There's so much rich things to pull out of this. I want to make sure that I do it justice. And so uh, if you would just, just pray for me that the, the messages would be helpful over the next several weeks as we dig into a really, really heavy passage of scripture. Uh, and so I would encourage you to read ahead and do some, maybe some research on your own as we get into this. But today we find ourselves just in the first three verses of Philippians uh, chapter three. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. For me indeed is not grievous, but for you it's safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Verse three is where we're gonna spend our time today. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. So Paul starts off verse number three and basically says, we're the real Christians. In verse number two, he identified false teachers, false Christians, fake uh, workers of the ministry. And he says, beware of those, look out for them, separate from them, get away from them. But verse three, we are of the circumcision, meaning we are the real Christians. We're the ones who really follow after Jesus like none other else. And he identifies three ways that you can identify these real Christians. First of all, they worship in the spirit. They rejoice in Christ Jesus. And third, uh, they have no confidence in their flesh. So we see three, what appear on the surface to be separate themes, but they're woven together in this passage of worship, praise, and humility. And we're gonna take a look at the connection between all of those today. Just by way of review, last week we took a look at worship and what worship is to us and how worship really touches every aspect of our life. Worship is a recognition of who God is in light of who I am. So worship realizes that God is awesome, he's perfect, he's holy, he's without equal, he's higher than everything else in the world, and me, I am incredibly low compared to God. The psalmist would say that he is but a worm in the sight of God. Isaiah would go far, so far as to say that all of the nations are as a drop in the bucket before God, that we are so minuscule, so insignificant compared to who God is, which just goes to further our worship of God because we are so low, because we are so worthless, because we are so uh, pathetic and God is so great, we can chime in with the psalmist and say, 
who is man that thou art mindful of him? Like, why does God even care about me? But he does. And that's yet another reason to praise him because God doesn't need me, but he loves me. I bring nothing to the table of value to God, yet he sees immense value in me. That's a reason to praise. That's a reason to worship today. And so it's really just a recognition. It's a, it's a perspective of who I am versus who God is. So many times the word worship gets relegated to a Sunday morning song service. You hear people say, oh man, the worship at that church is amazing. And what they mean is the, the, the music and the production is great. And that's so far from what the word worship actually means. We don't need a large production. We don't need a big light show. We, uh, I, I read sometimes things online that, that people write and they say, oh, we have these amazing lights and amazing show and amazing singers and we have a little bit of a fog on the bottom of the platform to usher in a spirit of worship. And it's like, what does that even mean? And do we need smoke to usher in the, the spirit of God? I don't think so. But the idea is that we're not trying to pump up a spirit of worship. We're not trying to have a Jesus pep rally before everything, get everybody out of their seat and and pumped up to bring a spirit of worship. A spirit of worship is actually kind of the opposite of that. It's a reverence of who God is. It's a recognition of the holiness of who God is. It's a realization that God is great and I'm small. Some Orthodox Jews don't, find it appropriate for them to touch the pages of scripture now they only adhere to the first five books of the old testament what we sometimes refer to as the law genesis exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy they would consider that to be all of god's word and they find themselves so dirty to even touch the words of god that they'll use sticks almost like chopsticks to turn the pages and while i don't know that we need to necessarily do that i love the heart behind it that God's word is so holy that my filthy, nasty, sinful hands should tremble to touch the holy words of God. That's a spirit of worship. It's a reverence. It's a recognition of the holiness and the awesomeness and the majesty of who God is. That's a spirit of worship. Worship is a reverential response to the creation of the all-encompassing magnificence of God. It's a recognition that when I see everything, when I experience everything that God's created, I respond to that in some way or another. In talking with people, sometimes I'll be sharing my faith or I'll invite them to church and they'll say things like, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. And first of all, there's a problem with that statement. It might sound really uh, spiritual on the surface that I don't have to gather together with people to worship God. Certainly true that you don't have to ever gather with anybody to worship with God, but we're commanded to gather together to worship with God. And so sometimes when people say, well, I don't don't go to church, I, I worship on my own. It on the surface sounds spiritual, but it shows spiritual immaturity on their part because we need the church. And here's kind of a, this message today is not about the local church, but it's important to note that when Jesus said that he gave his life for the church, when the greatest act of love that one could have for another human being is Jesus' love for the church, we can't say that Jesus loves it, but it's not that important to me. So if Jesus died for it, I think it should be important to you and I, and we should make it a priority. But when we talk about worship, we're not talking about just gathering for church service on Sunday morning. We refer to these as worship services. But you could describe it this way. Worship in your life is two parts. It's one part corporate worship, like what we have together. We've all gathered together together today in worship, praise, fellowship, 
hearing the preaching and teaching of God's word and then changing and calibrating our heart to fall in line with the heart of God. That's corporate worship. We do it together. But you should have a time of private worship in your life, a time where it's just you and God, where you spend time uh, reading God's word, maybe listening to good worship music, maybe praising God on your own. Maybe you should uh, go for a walk and take a look at all the things that you see and stand in reverence and awesomeness of who God is and all that he's done. I remember when uh, Angela and I had first moved to Honolulu back in 1999, uh, we had, uh, were just driving the island. We never gotten out and got really gotten to see anything before. So we're just driving and somewhere along, we made a, a wrong turn, and we got onto H3. And you would think, like, how can you get lost if there's three freeways, and there are one, two, and three, right? We got lost. I don't know how. But we turned off onto H3, and I don't know what, what your response was the first time that you ever drove H3. But you drive past, and it's just mountains as high as you can see on both sides, and the clouds hang at the top of those mountains, and you're just like, whoa, this is incredible. And it's like nothing you've ever seen before. And when we moved here in 1999, there was no like, oh, pull out your phone and take a picture of that. Yeah. My wife had her 35 millimeter camera though beside us and she, she, she pulls that out and starts snapping photos. And some of you won't understand this, but she got to the end of the roll of film. Many people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> she got to the end of the roll of film and she had exhausted a whole roll of film just taking pictures of mountains and we couldn't wait to get those photos developed because we're going to send them back to to family on the mainland and imagine that we're going to get our pictures developed we're going to put them in an envelope and put a stamp and an address and send them to somebody so that they can say wow this is gorgeous but you know what the funny thing was when we got those those pictures printed out we look it's just like it's just like green it's just like trees and it's just like you don't get it but in that moment it was just like oh my soul and then you go through the tunnel, and you're riding through the tunnel, and you come out on the other side, and you're like, oh, I didn't think it could get better, but it got better, you know? Like, now I can see the mountains, and now over here I can see the ocean, and now I can see just like, wow, look at this. This is incredible. Now, being in awe of nature is one thing, but then attributing the awe of nature to the creator, that's, a, that's worship. That's what differentiates the two. Anybody can look at a beautiful sunset and say that was beautiful. But it takes the heart of a worshiper to look at that and go, God loves us. God is so good to us. God let me experience this moment right here, right now. And I stand in awe of all that God has done. That's worship. <laughs> my daughter Michaela and I were talking the other night uh, at bedtime. And my, uh, my daughter, Michaela, was in the hospital back in February for about four weeks and a uh, really, really grave situation there for a little while. And she, uh, we began talking at bedtime, you know, because all the deep questions that kids ever have come out at bedtime. <laughs> for those of you that have little kids, you'll figure this out one day that nobody wants to talk during the day. But once it's time to go to bed, everybody wants to ask questions. Uh, you know, everybody wants to ask deep Bible questions at bedtime. At bedtime, everybody becomes a dehydrated theologian where it's just like, I need a drink of water and I've got really deep questions about my existence in God. Uh, all at bedtime, right? Always. But it was bedtime and McKeeley says, hey, dad, when they would come into my room at night and they would take my vital signs, she goes, what do all those numbers mean? I said, ooh, good question. So we talked about, uh, you know, your temperature. We talked about your respiratory rate. We talked about your heart rate. We talked about blood pressure. We talked about how those are so important and those are vital signs that they show that you're still alive. And I said, the first indication that something was wrong with you is that there was a fever. 
and your body knows that there's infection, and so your body cranks up the thermostat and makes it a little bit warmer to kill off all the infection. And she goes, that's pretty amazing. Oh, it's fascinating. And I said, the next thing that happens is your heart rate began to go up. Because your body says, hey guys, we need a little bit more oxygen over in this section because we're fighting some infection. We got some things going on over here. And if you could crank up the oxygen that we get, that would be great. And the best way to do that is to begin to circle more blood because your blood carries oxygen. It also carries the the cells that you need to be able to fight the infection and things along those lines. So your heart cranks up the intensity to get more oxygen around through the rest of your body. Same thing happens when you exercise because your body is depleted of oxygen. It cranks up your heart rate so that you can get more oxygen to the rest of your body. And we talked about the respiratory rate. We talked about how her lungs were filled with infection and fluid and she couldn't get a deep breath. And so her respiratory rate went up because she couldn't get a deep breath. We talked about blood pressure. If it's too high, it's a problem. If it's too low, it's a problem. And she was like, wow. She was like, the body is so fascinating. And I'm like, oh, it's incredible. Like, and like, I like totally geeked out on that. If I wasn't a pastor, I'd probably try to be a doctor or something because the body is fascinating. It would probably be bad for me because I don't like blood and needles, but that's, that's a totally different story. But, um, but the body is fascinating to me. And she said, wow. She said, God really knew what he was doing when he put all that together, didn't he? Yes, he did. Now, this wasn't like two rocks hitting the universe somewhere, and 10 million years later, you have this finely tuned machine that is very, very difficult to kill because of two rocks hitting together. We look at this and we say, what a creation. The creator that made this has to be like so far past what we can imagine. If you ever want to do some research on the internet, look up the, uh, I think it's called the ABO robot that Honda has been developing for like the last 25 years or so. When they first started making the robot, the goal of it was to be able to walk up a flight of stairs. And one of their first demonstrations of it, they showed this robot that they made to be able to walk up a flight of stairs. It makes it up, they got like seven stairs set up. It makes it like two in face plants. And then all the, the scientists start pulling their hair out and going around and picking it back up and, figuring it, and then they go back and they study all their data. It's like, wait a minute. A nine-month-old can climb up a flight of stairs, and we don't consider that an accomplishment. You know why? Because the creator of the nine-month-old is light years ahead of the creators of a robot. And so when you look at what the human body is capable of, you look at that and you say, man, something incredible must have created that. And so we praise the creator. That's worship. It's a recognition of the awesomeness of who God is. Psalm 96 is a great psalm of worship. If you don't have the notes with the the verses here, I would encourage you to turn over to Psalm 96 in your Bible. Read through Psalm 96 here, and it says, Psalm 96, verse number 10, Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for the God of the nations are his idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are his sanctuary. Notice there's no indication there of things that God's done for me. It's no indication there of the things that I get from God. Because worship is not about what God has done. Worship is about who God is. So worship is different from praise in the fact that worship has nothing to do with me and has everything to do with God. 
That's why when we sing songs that talk about me and how God makes me feel and how God delivered me, all which are true, all which are helpful, those aren't worship songs because the object of the song is me. When we sing about the greatness of our God, how great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, and all will see how great is our God, the splendor of a king robed in majesty. We talk about the greatness of, of our God not about me and how good I am or what it makes me feel like because worship is about God God is the object of our worship that's why if you've had a really crummy day you can still come to church with God's people and worship God because it's not about you anyways it's always interesting to me when people say I had a really bad week so I didn't make it to church no that's when you should make it to church that's like saying I was so sick I couldn't make it to the doctor. I was so ill, I couldn't make it to my doctor's appointment. No, 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 that's why you need to go to the doctor. And so if you miss out on church because you had a rough week or because things aren't great, that's the time that you need to be here because you need to worship. Because our worship fails when we focus on self. Because worship is about who God is. And so if you take a look at Psalm 96, there's no mention of how good God is to me or how faithful he's been to me or his graciousness towards me or, or his love towards me or his compassion towards me. None of that. It's all about who God is. And again, Psalm 96 continues in verse number eight. Give unto the Lord glory to his name. Bring an offering and come into his court. So worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Saying among the heathen that the Lord reigneth, the world also shall be established and it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad and let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that's therein and all the trees of the wood rejoice. Where am I in that? You're not because that is a psalm of worship. Now, are there other worship uh, psalms? For sure, lots of them. Are there psalms of praise? Definitely. Uh, the name of the Lord is a strong tower wherein we can run and hide. That's me praising God because he's a strong tower where I can find refuge. The Lord is my strength, my shield, and a buckler of all those that seek him. That's a, a psalm of praise for how good God's been to me. But worship has nothing to do with me and it has everything to do with God. That's the difference. Sometimes people think praise and worship can be used interchangeably. They're not. They're two different concepts that work beautifully together. Sometimes our prayer time, well, it's an act of worship to pray, to recognize that there's one person that can fix the mess that you're in. Our prayer time is often less worship and more like a list of things that we need God to get done for us this week. Think about your prayer time. Do you find satisfaction in your time that you spend in time with, with God in prayer or is it kind of like a chore that you got to check off the to-do list? Is your prayer time a list of the things that you need from God? Hey, God, I got this thing coming up at work. I got this project. I got this person who's being a jerk. Hey, God, I'm praying that uh, I'll be able to pay my bills this month. Hey, God, I'm praying about this promotion, praying about this job move, praying for this, that, and the other. God, if you can do that, that'd be great. In Jesus' name, amen. And then we say, I don't really get a lot out of prayer. Because if prayer is just you shoving a list in God's face and saying, hey, do this, it's going to be very um, unfulfilling, I would say. Imagine my relationship with my wife. We don't talk. We don't communicate. I don't tell her the things that I love about her, the things that she means to me. I don't tell her how much I appreciate our relationship or uh, what, what a partnership we have or the way that she encourages my heart and helps me. I just say, hey, if you could have dinner ready when I get home, that would be great. Uh, if you stop by the, the store, be sure to pick this up for me. 
Hey, when you're in Target, make sure that you get this done here. Uh, hey, so-and-so works being a, a jerk. If you could just uh, pray for me today. And, uh, oh yeah, by the way, I need all this stuff done by 6 o'clock tonight. And we don't talk for the rest of the day. Imagine how unfulfilling our relationship would be because there's no communication. It's just like, hey, get this done for me. And so I would encourage you, make worship a part of your prayer time. There's a, a great book. I think we might even have a couple of, uh, of copies of it out in the lobby. If not, you can get it online. It's called Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. It's a great book. It's really short. It basically is taking scripture as a way to pray back to God. And so if you're struggling in your worship of God, I would encourage you just to, to pray the Psalms. For example, Psalm 96, verse number 8, which is in your notes. Give unto the Lord the glory to his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. Use that as a way to pray. Well, what do you mean? Lord, your name is high. Help me to give you the glory that you deserve. I pray that my life would point people back to you and people would see the glory of you at work in my life. It says, bring unto the Lord an offering. God, I give my life unto you as an offering because you're worthy of my worship. God, my life is yours to do with as you please. I offer it before you, as Romans chapter 12 says, as a living sacrifice because you are worthy. If anybody should have my life, it should be you, and I give it to you to use as you see fit, to use it for the glory of your name. See how he took just a couple of phrases from a psalm of worship and turned it into a psalm of prayer in our lives? So make sure that your prayer life always includes worship. The, uh, there's an acrostic that sometimes people use for their prayer life, ACTS, A-C-T-S. Adoration, that's a time of worship. Confession, that's a time of confessing your sin before God and repentance. T is for thanksgiving, it's a time of praise before God. And S is a time of supplication, where I ask God for the things that I need. The problem is many times people just skip to the S and just give God a list of stuff that they need. And they forget to adore and worship. They forget to confess their sin. They forget to stop and take time and praise God in thanksgiving. And so I'd encourage you just to take a look at that. Again, worship touches every aspect of my life. It, it's not relegated to songs. It's not relegated to Sunday morning gatherings. It's every part of my life. You know, people have said before, like, oh, when I'm, when I'm out on the waves and on the surf, that's where I worship God. I get that. I'm not against that. I promise you I'm not. Some of the best times of worship that I've ever had in my entire life we're long runs out to the middle of the desert in the middle of the night, just me and God. And, and then there's been times where I've been listening to worship music while I'm running that I, I'll run with my hands over my head like I'm being chased by the cops or something. I mean, like, like best times ever of worship in my life didn't take place in a church building full of people with a great band that play great music. That's not where the best worship in my life takes place. So I want you to understand that there's a personal worship, there's a private worship. And your private worship fuels your corporate worship, and your corporate worship then fuels your private worship. They're connected with each other. The problem comes is when we show up on a Sunday morning and we expect somebody to whip up worship for us, and it doesn't happen, then we leave disappointed. Oh, I didn't really care for that song that, that was sang today. Oh, I didn't really care for the message. That didn't really hit me where I, I thought that it should. But if my private worship has been good this week, when I hear words like, yet not I, but Christ in me, I think, oh man, ain't that the truth? Oh man, I identify with that so much. When I hear songs like, you're worthy of my worship, you're worthy of my praise, that hits me deep because I realize that, man, he is everything to me. 
And so it's all connected with each other. Life is worship. We took a look at last week. It's not a matter of if you worship. It's a matter of what you worship. And we perform acts of worship as a result of our reverence and love for him. And this morning, your alarm clock went off. You made a decision whether or not you'd get up and come to church. That was an act of worship where you said, God is worthy of me getting out of bed even when I don't feel like it on a day that I don't have to and I choose to gather together with his people because he is worthy. That's an act of worship on your part. When you showed up here and you decided to sing songs together with God's people of worship and praise before God, whether you sang out of a heart of worship or you didn't sing because you didn't want to worship, that decision you made to raise your voice with God's people and communicate a biblical truth back to God was an act of worship. It wasn't just singing songs that are on the screen. It's worship. It's bigger than that. And so... I would encourage you to analyze your life and say, hey, what does my worship look like? Sitting here listening to the preaching from God's word is an act of worship. And some people sit on the edge of their seat waiting to get something good and to write something down and asking God to search their heart. God, give me something good today from your word because I need to grow, I need to change. God, would you calibrate the compass of my heart to be in line with your heart? I want to make things right. I want this. That's an act of worship. That's a spirit of worship. Other people are checking their clock to go like, I hope this doesn't go too much longer because lunch is on the way. That's the opposite of the spirit of worship. And so again, I would encourage you, and I said this last week and I wasn't joking when I said that. The fact that you would choose to be a part of a church where you almost guaranteed every single week that the message from God's word is gonna be at least 60 minutes plus, yet you come back, that's a spirit of worship. Not that I want a shorter church service I've heard people before go, yeah, this church really isn't for us. We're more of about 45 minutes of worship and then about 10 minutes of devotion. (laughs) I get what you're saying with that statement, but a couple of things. First of all, there's not 45 minutes of worship and then the message. It's all worship together, first of all. But second of all, if you love to hear music but don't like to hear God's word preached, that's an indication usually of a heart problem. Because... Here's the thing, while our music should be saturated with the word of God, and it's super important that it is, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The only way your faith is going to be strengthened is by hearing God's word. And so for you to put yourself in a place where you're purposely going to hear God's word on a weekly basis, and sometimes it's going to be really uncomfortable to hear, yet you would choose to come back, that's an act of worship on your part. Because worship is all about where my heart lies. And so... I would just encourage you, take stock. How's your, how's your worship? How are you doing this week on your connection with God and your relationship with him? Is it one of recognition of like the psalmist, like I am a worm, what in the world would you want with me? Or is it a spirit of, hey God, I've been doing pretty good lately. Why don't you give me the things that I want now? Have I done enough for you? Maybe it's time for you to start doing for me. That's the opposite of a spirit of worship. But again, if we take a look at verse number three in Philippians chapter three, we worship God in spirit and we rejoice in Christ Jesus. And so we see that Jesus is the reason for our praise. So here's the primary difference between worship and praise. Worship is a recognition of who God is and it's a reverential response to God's person and his character. That's worship. Praise, on the other hand, is gratitude and thanksgiving for the things that God 
has done. So I worship God because he's God, not because he does good stuff for me. He's just God, and he's worthy of worship. I should bow down before him because he is the almighty, everlasting God. That's worship. I praise God because he's merciful to me, because he's gracious to me, because he loves me, because he sent his son to die for me, because he's kind, he's patient, he's loving, he's compassionate. He's been so good to me that I don't deserve it. I praise God for that. I'm thankful for that. I want to live a life of gratitude because of that. I want to tell you how good God's been to me. And if you got time, like, I'd love to sit down with you for just a couple hours and just tell you my life story because it's a story of God's grace and his goodness. It's a story of praise. But if God never did a thing for me and my life was terrible and my circumstances were awful and I've never been blessed a day in my life, which I don't imagine how that could possibly be, I could still worship because God is still God and he's still worthy of of our worship and adoration so worship and praise are connected with each other again we we can't use them interchangeably they mean two different things and sometimes you should examine the music that you listen to is this song a song of worship or is this song a song of praise my prayer is it a prayer of worship or is it a prayer of praise these letters that paul writes is it a paul a, a, a Is it worship? Is it praise? The Psalms, as you read through it, you'll find Psalms of praise. You'll find Psalms of worship. You'll find Psalms of lament, basically crying out for how terrible they are or how terrible their circumstances are. You'll also find Psalms of prayer. Hey, God, be merciful. Hey, God, help me out of this spot. Hey, God, I'm in a rough situation. If you could show up, that would be great. And we see really our relationship with God formed through those things, worship, praise, and prayer. When we hear the word hallelujah, which we heard in this this song this morning, hallelujah, the Hebrew word hallel means praise. The yah on the end of hallelujah is a shortened version of Jehovah. So the word hallelujah literally means praise praise Jehovah or praise the Lord. And so, again, we see the cry of our heart should be a cry of hallelujah, praise the Lord, God is good, he's faithful, he's just, he's merciful, he's good, he's kind. And the word that's used here in this passage here in Philippians chapter 3 for we rejoice in Christ Jesus isn't so much an idea of gratitude, but it's more an idea of bragging or boasting. And so, That seems like the opposite of what humility should be to brag or to boast, right? But we're not boasting in ourselves, we're boasting in Christ Jesus. Then somebody says, oh, pastor, you've got such a great family. I don't say, yeah, I know, I did pretty good for myself, huh? No, my response is a boast in Christ. God's been really good to me despite myself. I don't deserve any of this. Sometimes people say, hey, pastor, how you doing? And my response is this, and it's not false humility, it's legitimate truth. Hey, I'm doing better than I deserve, that's for sure. 
It's a recognition that the things that I have didn't come because of my hard work and my sweat equity and how good I am. The things that I have came as a result of a really gracious God who's given them to me. And I recognize that I don't deserve any of them, which is an act of worship, realizing that I don't deserve anything and I'm doing much better than I deserve. Now, if you ask me how I'm doing, I can name off 10 reasons why I'm doing pretty crummy this week. I can list off about 10 more things of things that I wish were better in my life this week. If you ask me how I'm doing, I can name 10 things in the world that are really messed up right now. And if you hand me any newspaper, I'll be happy to take a, a red Sharpie and show you everything that's wrong with the world right now. But that wouldn't be a life of praise, would it? That would be a life of criticism. If you've ever been around anybody with a critical spirit, they're probably the least fun people in the world to be around because there's something wrong with everything. It blows me away that people can be critical of living in Hawaii. Like, hey, look, when God created the earth, I think he spent a little bit of extra time on these islands out in the middle of the Pacific. It's special. And if you've never been to like somewhere like, like when you look at the awesomeness of, and majesty of God in nature here, and you can't appreciate how awesome God is, you should totally like go to like Albuquerque, New Mexico or somewhere like that. And then you can really get an appreciation of how good God is and if you're from Albuquerque, I'm sorry. It's a beautiful state, I'm sure. Uh, but, um, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's flat, brown, but it's God's creation. It's beautiful, right? Um, if you like brown and dirt. Uh, Arizona, right? Same thing. Uh, so, uh, but, but if you've never been to like somewhere like Sedona, Arizona, if you've ever been there before, oh my soul. Like, again, you think the desert, how pretty can the desert be with these massive rocks and these massive just... Wow, what God is incredible. But people find a reason to gripe about everything. Like, oh, I hate Hawaii. I can't wait to go back to the mainland because of all the traffic here. Like, bro, have you ever sat on the 405 in LA before? You should try that sometime. It's not fun. Oh, people in Hawaii can't drive. I'll give you that. But again, have you ever been on the, the 5 freeway in LA when you got eight lanes wide and everybody's running at like 80, 85 and you're just trying to drive the speed limit? It's terrifying. You got a reason to gripe? Hey, I'll give it to you. Oh, the weather's been really crummy here lately. Uh, I've never been to Alaska. I have no desire to ever go, but I've seen pictures of Alaska. And like, I'd say, oh, weather's pretty decent even on a crummy day here. But I'm talking about not having a critical spirit. I'm talking about finding a reason to praise. And look, if you, if you got nothing better to praise God about in Hawaii, I, I know for a fact that there's a group of people here that love Jesus like a group of people I've never met in my entire life. And if there's no greater reason to praise, praise God for his church and what he's doing through it. For sure. I'm talking about a life of praise. You see, true Christians recognize that everything we have is a result of Jesus. We realize that I don't have what I have because I've earned it or because I'm good or because I'm better than you. Hui Kala turns eight years old this October. I'm super pumped. It's hard to believe. Eight years already, man. It's been unbelievable. Uh, just to see what God's done over eight years. But we don't have what we have today because I'm the best pastor in the world or I'm the smartest guy in the room or because we had all these plans and programs to figure out how to move, get it from you know, five people up to what we are now. And you know, we, we don't have a chart of growth of what we expect to be 12 months from now. You know what we do? We just show up every week and preach the word and love people. That's it. It's funny, I have uh, had some pastors ask me one time, you know, they began to ask questions about our church and somebody came and visited on vacation and 
they started talking with other pastor friends that they had and said, hey, we'd like to sit down with you and ask you some questions about church growth. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, ask me questions. You can ask anything you want. I don't know anything about church growth. And the question we have that they had for me, how do you reach so many young people, young families in your city? They said, we got, you know, church full of people that are 60 and up and that's all we can reach. We can't reach young people. What do you do? preach the Bible? Um, no, like, what kind of outreach do you have to younger families? You have, like, family play dates, and, like, you open up your church and have bounce houses and stuff like that. It's just like, <laughs> we really just preach the Bible and love people. That's it. Like, there's no secret sauce, you know? That's it. I'm not a great administrator. I'm not an incredible leader where I can get pump, people pumped up to follow a vision. We just preach the Bible and love people. And if there's anything good that's happened in our church, it's a result of God's hand at work in our church despite ourselves. And so again, praise is about a perspective of not that I'm super smart, I'm really good, I'm really gifted, but hey, if I have anything good in my life that's worthy of praise, it's a result of what Jesus Christ has done. Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse number 17, I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. He says in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 14, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I the world. Sometimes we sit and talk about things like the greatest Christians in the Bible. And we begin to think about like the faith of Abraham. I mean, you even think about it, the book of Hebrews has a, Hebrews chapter 11, a hall of faith of guys of great stature in the Bible. We're talking about like New Testament Christianity. You'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that could make a list of top Christians in the world in all of human history, top five lists that did not include the Apostle Paul, right? You just can't get around it. I mean, the guy went through it. He was still faithful. The guy gifted us through God using him, the Holy Spirit using him to write a good chunk of the New Testament. He taught us about interpersonal relationships. He taught us about spiritual leadership how to raise up men and women of God underneath him that would carry on the banner of Jesus Christ for the kingdom. I mean, you talk about like top shelf Christians. I mean, like Paul's like as good as it gets, right? I think if we were having that discussion and Paul were here, I think Paul would interrupt us and say, hey guys, seriously, like, no, don't do this. Like there's anything good happened in my life, it was Jesus. Paul even says, I know in my flesh, I know in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Paul would say, if there's anything good that's happened in my life, it's the grace of God, not me. Paul would be embarrassed that people would include him in the top 10 list of best Christians of all time. Paul would even go so far as to say that I am the chief of sinners and the least to be counted worthy of the Savior. You know why? Because praise is fueled by our humility. And Paul recognized his spot. He realized that anything good that he had had come as a result of what the Father had done in his life and the grace of Jesus upon his life. And the Bible tells us that all good things in our life come from God. Everything. Book of James, chapter number one, verse number 17, says every good, and every, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I love that verse because it says if you have something good in your life, it's because God gave it to you. If you can praise God for your kids, your spouse, a roof over your head, breath in your lungs today, it's because God gave it to you. And you might be down in the dumps and trying to find something wrong with everything in life, 
you might be Eeyore, you might be Chicken Little, you might be Oscar the Grouch. But get this, you have reason to praise today. I promise you. You woke up today, that's more than some people did today. You have breath in your lungs, what more than some people have today. You have your health enough to be in church today, it's more than some people have today. God spared your life so far, it's more than a lot of people have. You have reason to praise today. If you have more in your, in your, this month, if you will have more than $200 passed through your checking account this month in a 30-day period, you are automatically in the top 50th, 50 percentile of the richest people in the world, just with $200. If you have $2,000 passed through your checking account, you're automatically in the top 80% of the richest people on the planet. Tell me again what you have to complain about. I love what Job says. Why does a living man complain? Job said that. <laughs> if you're not, not familiar with the life of Job, it wasn't smooth sailing for him. But he said, why, why does a living man complain? We're blessed. And so we recognize that everything comes from God. I love James 1.17. We're getting ready to start um, on June 6th, our Sunday evening services back again here at Huikala. If you've never gone to Sunday evening service here at Huikala, it's totally different from the morning service. So we don't just preach the same message three times in a day. Our morning services, 8 and 10, are the same. Sunday evenings will be different. We're going to go through the book of James on Sunday evenings. And so put it on your calendar, plan on being a part of that. It's just another opportunity for you to grow in your faith and be around other Christians and things like that. So I'm pumped about that. But James 1.17, I love this verse. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above from the Father of lights. Isn't it interesting that throughout the Bible that God is considered, always considered light? Always. You know why? Because light illuminates. Light shows things for what they really are. And light always casts out darkness. And darkness is always a picture of fear in the Bible. So God is a God of light in the fact that he casts out fear. But I love what it says, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. What that means is that God isn't one way on Mondays and he's a different way on Tuesdays then I don't really ever know what I'm going to get from God. I don't know if God's going to be gracious or if he's going to be loving or if he's going to be kind or if he's going to be just. I don't know what God's going to be today. No, he always is the same. And because of that, I can worship him for his consistency and I can praise him for his faithfulness to me. So, so rich. But I realize anything in my life that I have that's good is a result of God. Hey, you, you got a, a good family? Praise God that you got a good family. You had a terrible family growing up and you don't have any family to speak of today. That's a reason to complain, right? No, God's given you a church family that could be greater than your own family. If you ever read through the book of Acts, you find that people's families were disowning them and they found family in the church. And the church became their family as replacement. And so you didn't have a great Childhood growing up, you don't have close family, good. You got a family here. Well, my dad never really was around. Great, you've got men of God in this church who can show you what a man of God lives like. Well, I don't know the first thing about teaching my kids the Bible. Great, we've got a, a children's Bible program that will help teach your kids and, and we have a discipleship program that will teach you the Bible so that you can teach your kids. We got this. You have no reason to complain because God's given you everything you need to make it. No questions asked. 
because every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father. But here's, here's something really important. You cannot worship and you cannot appropriately praise until you're first a child of God. That's a critical part. God doesn't want worship from people that are strangers to him. God doesn't want worship and praise from people who are enemies of his. The Bible says that, that before we know Jesus Christ as Savior, we were the enemies of God. And friend, if you're here today and there's never been a time, a day, a place in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior and you've never been born again, know this, your sin is 100% on your shoulders and it's appointed unto man once to die after that, the judgment. And if you die in your sin, you'll be separated from God for all of eternity in hell and there's no second chances, there's no getting out of that, you're done. And you will face the wrath of God for all of eternity. That's the worst news anybody could ever possibly hear. But here's the worst part. That's what we deserve. That's what I deserve. I broke God's law. God created rules. I broke them all. I deserve the consequences. And the consequences, the Bible says, is death and hell. But God, in his mercy and love for us, this is a reason to praise, sent his son Jesus to die in our place. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I was supposed to die, Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to be punished, Jesus was punished for me. I was supposed to die, Jesus died instead. I owed God a debt that I could not pay. Jesus paid it all and now I owe nothing. But it requires faith and repentance on your part. You have to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I'm putting my faith in him and I'm turning from my sin. You can be saved today if you'd be willing to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. But friend, you cannot worship if you don't know God. You cannot worship if you're not a child of God. And you have very little to praise God for if you're not a child of God. You can praise God for being good, but know this, God's goodness, if you're not a child of His, has an expiration date. And the moment that you take your last breath, God has finished being gracious kind, merciful, and loving, and God is now a God of wrath and judgment. You say, well, that doesn't sound very fair. Nobody ever said that God was fair, but God's just. It's what you deserve. What's not fair is that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God. That's not fair. You take one guy and punish him for everything that everybody else did wrong? Yeah, not fair but I'm thankful for it. It's not fair, but it's just because somebody has to pay and Jesus says, I'll, I'll pay it. And I have reason to praise today because I'm a child of God. I have reason to praise today because my sin is not upon my shoulder. I have reason to praise today because my guilt, my shame for all of my past sin is not on me. I left it at the cross of Calvary and it was settled once and for all. Praise God for that. That's a reason to praise now, I don't worship God because he washed my sins away. I praise him for it because I worship him for who he is. If he had never washed my sins away, I still stand in reverence and awe and adoration of who he is. If he'd never been kind and gracious to me, I still worship him for who he is. But it's important to understand that worship and praise are impossible without a spirit of humility. <laughs> Remember how I said that worship is a recognition of who God is in light of how low I am, how high God is in relation to how low I am. Again, the psalmist would say that 
I am but a worm. Isaiah would say all of the nations are as a drop in the bucket before God. It's a recognition of how high God is and how low I am. Worship gets ruined when I'm not so bad after all. I mean, I've done some things in my life that I don't, I'm not proud of, but I'm not a bad person. That ruins our worship. If you're taking notes this morning, I recommend that you do. Write this down in your notes, and you should highlight it, underline it, circle it, and commit this phrase to memory. Pride ruins everything. Did you get that? I'll repeat it. Pride ruins everything. Repeat after me. Pride ruins everything. What do you mean everything? Everything. Everything. Your marriage, pride will ruin it. Guaranteed. Did you know that the number one problem that me as a pastor, I see in married couples, it's not communication, which communication is a thing. Just as an aside to you married couples, I'll tell you the number one thing that destroys Christian marriages, destroys pornography. Protect against it like the plague. If you're in it, you need to repent of it. If you need help, I want to help you. But this will ruin your marriage guaranteed without fail. That's why when churches, you know, want to protest and, and jump on the, the anti-gay bandwagon as if being gay is the biggest thing that's ever faced the church before, the biggest sexual sin that faces the church is not homosexuality, it's pornography by far. I can't name you a single solitary family in our church that's ever been affected in their marriage of homosexuality to the point where it couldn't be resolved. I could get the name of two dozen marriages that are probably ruined beyond repair because of pornography. So... I say that as an aside to say, be careful of that, be mindful of that, wage war on that, do not be, ever become comfortable with that, and fight against it like you're fighting against nothing else, okay? But the number one thing that comes up in almost every single solitary marriage problem is pride. Well, let me tell you how he's been wrong. Now, I know I'm not perfect, but let me just tell you 25 things that's wrong with him. I could probably name a couple that's wrong with me, but I can name you 25 that's wrong with him. Oh, yeah, well, she's so self-righteous. She thinks she's perfect. Let me tell you 25 things that's wrong with her. Now, I'm not okay in these couple of areas, but 25 things she's got wrong. What's the root there, pride? I know guys that aren't willing to confess their sin before their wife. You know why? Because I'm afraid of what she'll think of me, Pride. I'm telling you this, pride destroys everything. So walk in humility. <clears throat> Somewhere along the way, I picked up the ideas as a kid, whether it's through the, the preaching and teaching that I heard at church or somewhere else along the way in society, that parents are always right even when they're wrong. I don't know if you ever guys ever heard that growing up. Or Your parents are always right even when they're wrong. Don't question authority. Authority's always right. It's never wrong. And if you ever had to apologize for something that you said wrong, it means that you were wrong and you lose credibility when you do that. You lose authority when you do that. And so you never apologize when you're wrong because even when you're wrong, you're still right because you're the authority. Sounds good to me. Did you know that's such a lie? Parents, we get it wrong all the time. All the time. Like I feel really bad for my son Thatcher, our oldest son. He's, he's 26. He was a guinea pig. We just kind of tried stuff out on him to see if it worked or not, you know? Well, if that didn't work, we won't do that again, you know? 
And by the grace of God, he turned out okay so far. Uh, but, um, but again, it's one of those things that one of the hardest things for me to do as a dad, and I was a young dad when I did this. I'm still pretty young, by the way. Uh, but I was a younger dad then, was learning to repent to my own children. Hey, guys, I want you to sit down for just a second and let you know that what I did tonight wasn't okay, and I'm sorry for that. I, I should have never said what I did. I know it was hurtful, and it wasn't good, and I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that to your mother that way. That tone of voice that I used was 100% wrong, and I'm sorry. Would you pray for Daddy that he'll walk in the Spirit this week? It's hard, hard to admit that you're wrong. But you know what would keep me from repenting to my kids? Pride. I don't want them to know that I was wrong. Hello, everybody already knows that you're wrong. The fact that you would own it actually gives you credibility. That's what you fail to realize is when you walk in humility and you're not puffing yourself up with pride, people actually respect that. And it gives you credibility. My time as a pastor and even my time in the military, I've been to so many different change of command and retirement ceremonies. And I'll generally find two different types of leadership at those types of ceremonies. One who says, you know, when I came in this unit, it was a mess, but I got things straightened out. I put the right leaders in the right place, and we got the budget. We got the training protocol that we needed. I implemented these six programs, and we got it all going, and, and I'm leaving this a better place than I found it because that's what I was taught. And then there's the other type of leader who is just like, I couldn't have done this without the people that were here. This guy over here, I remember when you stayed late on your anniversary to fix that one problem. I remember when you came in at, at 2 o'clock in the morning so we'd stay on track on that project. And I couldn't have done this without these people. And I don't get any credit for today. I just got to ride on the coattails of some of the finest people I've ever served with in my life. And you look at that and you don't look at that guy and go, oh, what a loser. He's a coattail rider, that guy. And lose respect for him. You look at that guy and go, man, what a dude. But the guy that takes credit for everything, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I put together that training pipeline, and you're up here touting it like it was your accomplishment. But you and I sometimes try to take the credit away from God as if it's our own thing. Hey, look at this thing I did. Look at this way that I did that. Oh, you should totally see the, see how I handled this. And we take credit for God's things. A spirit of pride will always ruin your worship. It will always ruin your praise. So it's got to go. i got to, again, walk in humility it fixes almost everything that we face because pride destroys everything. Worship recognizes that only one is truly worthy of all that we have and all that we are. And again, when we sing songs like, you're worthy of my worship, you're worthy of my praise, it's not just a catchy little tune that we get to do this fun echo with. It's a legitimate Bible truth. And for those of you that don't know, John Stoker is a, a Christian school teacher. And so he can't just get up and sing a song. He has to say, verse number one, here's what we're going to do. Verse number two, here's what we're going to do, guys. We're gonna, verse number three, here's what we're going to do. Now, I'm going to repeat that one last time. Verse number one is this. It's like, John, just sing the song, man. We'll pick it up. We'll get it. <laughs> but John's a school teacher. He's got to like lay everything out for you. Love John to death. What a guy. But here's the thing. We don't just sing music because it's catchy. Sometimes people will send me, and, and I love you for this, and again, if you want to bless my soul, do it. They'll send me songs that they hear on the radio, like, I heard this song that blessed me, we should sing this in church. It might be a good song, but we probably won't sing it in church because we sing worship and praise songs in church. That's it. We don't sing like, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend kind of songs. Like, no. And you laugh because you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like this ooey-gooey, poppy, like, cute little song where we throw Jesus in at the end. It's like, oh, it's about Jesus. No. Music that's worship and praise because that's what we're commanded to do. And so again, 
A life of worship realizes that if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't have anything. I often ask people, if you really want to know how much Jesus means to you, what would it mean if you woke up tomorrow and you didn't have Jesus and you didn't believe any longer? What would that mean to the way that you live your life? And for some people, they'd be like, I get my Sunday mornings back now. I mean, I guess you can like go to the beach or something. I don't know. Well, if that's all Jesus was to you was a Sunday morning, you probably didn't get much value out of it anyways. But I think about for me, if I don't have Jesus, I don't have his word, and I don't have my faith, I don't know anything about life anymore. I just don't. I don't know how to raise my kids. I don't know what matters anymore. I don't know what means anything. If there's nothing after this life, I'm going about it the totally wrong way. I, I should grab more of what life has to offer because if this is all there is, and I'm doing a terrible job of it. My love for my wife is different now because it's not held together by the love of Jesus. Like, I lose my best friend who is Jesus. I don't know what to do with my warnings anymore because I spend time in the Word and pray and kind of guides my day and shepherds me. It's like, I, without Jesus, I don't, I'm lost, like totally lost. So I want to encourage you to come back to the point where you realize without Jesus, you don't have anything. Without Jesus, life is meaningless, purposeless. Praise, the great part about praise is that praise removes any attempt to take credit for or boast in God's blessings. You see, worship is a recognition of who God is. Praise is a recognition of all God's done for me and my response back to him. But I don't have any reason to brag today. Anything I got is because Jesus gave it to me. So I've got friends, and i got a lot of friends. Jesus gave me every one of them. My family, my closest family member is 5,000 miles away. Do I feel the loss of family? No, I've got family here. Really, you guys are family to me. I have reason to praise this morning. Sometimes people will walk out and they go, oh, pastor, there's a great message today. I said, man, the Bible's a great book. Today's message was 100% plagiarized. There wasn't a single solitary original thought that I had to share today that didn't come from the Bible. So praise God for his book, it's good. I don't have any reason to boast. There's nothing in me that's good. You guys didn't show up this morning because you're like, this pastor, he's incredible. I can't wait to hear what he has to say today. Nobody showed up for that. You came because you want to hear from God. You want to worship him. You want to hear what his word has to say, and you want to see how you need to change in response to that. That's a spirit of worship, man. That's the good stuff. Two final questions, and we're done. First of all, how do you worship? How do you worship? And if you just say, I show up on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., you need to get better at worshiping because it's a terrible plan. It's a good start, terrible place to stop. What does your personal worship look like? Uh, you want to change your life. And I'm talking about legit change your life. And if you already do this, this won't be revolutionary for you. But those of you that don't, this will change your life. Listen to only worship music for 21 days. Nothing else. It's not worship music. I don't listen to it. Notice I didn't say listen to Christian radio for 21 days because everything on Christian radio is not necessarily Christian. I'm talking worship music. And you say, how do I know worship music? It draws your heart towards the heart of God and towards who God is. That's worship music. Listen to worship music for 21 days, nothing else. It will change your life. My daughter Tallulah, who's three years old, she was sitting in the back seat this past week. And a song came on. Uh, and I said, something, something, Jesus. She goes, oh, Dad, turn it up. They said, Jesus. 
I know, sweetheart. Next song, she was like, oh, Dad, they talked about heaven. Turn it up. I know, sweetheart. And I'm turning up. She's like three and a half. She doesn't know what's going on, but she knows Jesus. She knows heaven. And she says, crank it up. <laughs> Love it. But here's the thing. What, what you fail to realize is what comes in your ears automatically goes to your heart and it changes who you are. And you say, well, not me. I promise you it does. And you might be like I used to be, that, that like, man, I rode the bus to school when I was a kid. I've heard cussing since I was like four. Curse words don't bother me. I was in the Navy. People cuss like sailors, and that actually means something. Uh, I've been around it my whole life. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't phase me. I promise you it does. Because when you don't hear that after a while to hear it, it's just like nails on a chalkboard. It's just like, ooh, that doesn't sit well in my spirit. I'm talking about what does your worship look like? Secondly, how's your praise? Do you find yourself with a complaining, critical spirit, or do you have a life of praise? When you get together with other people, do you want to tell them about how great you are and what you've done and how accomplished you are? Or do you want to say, oh, I've got to tell you what God did in my life this week. I've got to tell you what God did. I, I met with a guy yesterday, and um, he was kind of struggling in his spirit. He says, I'm not really sure what God's doing in my life right now. I see X, Y, and Z, and I don't really know how all these pieces fit together. And I go, dude, I got it. And we began to talk through things. And I said, here's what I would do if I were in your position. Here's how I would move X, Y, and Z to smash it together to give God glory. And he just sat there with like mouth open. And he was like, pastor, that was one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. And the dude is legitimately changing his life based on the conversation we made yesterday because he said, I want God to be glorified through my life. I just don't know how. And we put all the pieces together. And he said, this is it. And he goes, he said, pastor, God's just been so good to bring me up to this point. And he began to praise God about how faithful God had been. It's just like, yes. But do you want people to hear your story? Do you want to praise God about all that you've done? Eight o'clock service this morning, Jerry and Shirley Garner joined our church. They're a phenomenal couple uh, in the early 70s. If you haven't met Jerry and Shirley, they're part of the Relentless group on Wednesday nights. They're phenomenal folks. They're, they're just great people. But I sat with them for two hours on, on Friday and just heard their story. And I was so encouraged after spending time with them because they just continued to praise God about all they'd seen and all they'd done and what they'd been a part of and stuff like that. Jerry uh, got saved and grew up in the Moody Bible Church in uh, Chicago, Illinois. And I said, Jerry, tell me about when you were baptized. Because to be a member of Hui College, you'd be saved and you'd be baptized. He said, tell me about your baptism. He said, I was, I was baptized by Pastor Warren Wearsby. What? Warren Wearsby was your pastor? He's like, yeah, if you don't know who Warren Wearsby is, you should Google it. Blow your socks off. Wrote some outstanding books. Incredible guy. Uh, he got baptized by Warren Wearsby. Man, tell me about that. And I said, I said, Shirley, tell me about how you got saved. And she shared her salvation testimony with me. And I was just like, so encouraged. And we just sat and praised God for it for two hours. What does your praise life look like? You, you got to have it. You're commanded to do it. It's a mark of a, tr of a true Christian. Worship praise. This question is not on the screen, but it's, it's important. <laughs> How is your humility? For me, that's the one I, I struggle with the most. I got no problem worshiping God because I realize who he is. I got no problem praising God. He's been so faithful to me. I struggle with walking in humility and rem remembering that without Jesus, I got nothing. That if you remove Jesus out of my life, I'm like those toys that when you hit the button on the bottom, like everything collapses. That's like who I am without Jesus. Like everything that I have is from him. But I got to remember that every single day. It helps me to walk in humility. So 
not sure where you're at on that. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you need to be saved today. You need to be born again today. Jesus says in John chapter 3, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. If you don't know for sure that you're saved, please don't walk out today until you know for sure that you're saved. Because without that, you can't worship, you can't praise, and when you meet God, you'll meet him in judgment. It'll be the worst day of your life, and it will only get worse from there. But if you're a child of God, our worship, our praise fuel each other. Our private worship fuels our corporate worship. We live a life of worship. We live a life of praise. And that only lifts us higher in our relationship with God. And so I want to encourage you, make your life a life of worship. Make it a life of praise. Let's do that this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.